0: And in Judges, chapters 1 and 2, it really sets up the context uh, for the book of Judges uh, that... And actually, again, we have another anchor point right at the beginning of Judges chapter 1, uh, verse 1, after the death of Joshua. And so it immediately follows the book of Joshua... Joshua's speeches to the people, his death, uh, immediately following his death, and God had used him uh, to bring uh, the Israelites, to bring this new generation uh, into the land uh, to be faithful to his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, now, Joshua uh, has, has died. He's, he's passed away. And so there's, uh, we, we see a gradual change of the, the honor guard, of uh, of those who led the people in the land uh, following uh, the Lord. So after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord. Now we have the story beginning. Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And then he has Judah and Caleb fight against them. And this first chapter recounts how the Israelites continued the conquest uh, that they had begun uh, with Joshua, and they begin to take some of the lands like Caleb and Judah and Simeon, but as you read through uh, this first chapter, you see that many of the tribes didn't conquer uh, the, the remaining lands, and they failed to do so. And that God used the people uh, to to test them to see if they would follow Him uh, with His whole heart, with their whole heart, and if they would uh, trust in Him. And as you go into chapter two. You have this important section where the angel of the Lord uh, speaks uh, to the people uh, of Israel. It tells us more about the the pattern uh, of Judges and the the cycle of Judges. Now, the angel of Yahweh went up from Gilgal uh, to Bochim and he said... I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you. But they shall become thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of Yahweh spoke these words to the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bohim, and crying, weeping, and they sacrificed there uh, to Yahweh. And then it talks about how the Israelites uh, went uh, to their inheritance after Joshua. And then in verse 11, it picks up. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh and served the Baals. And they abandoned Yahweh, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. Uh, They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples. Who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked Yahweh to anger. They abandoned Yahweh and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Uh, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of Yahweh was against them for harm as Yahweh had warned them and as the Lord had sworn to them and they were in a terrible distress. And so here you see God being faithful uh, to his covenant uh, that if they rebelled against him, uh, if they turned to uh, other gods and worshiped other gods and idols, Uh, that he would bring curses upon them. And we'll be looking at the curses in Leviticus, the blessings and the curses in Leviticus and Deuteronomy a little bit. But if they would return to him and repent of their evil ways and their idolatry, that he would redeem them. Uh, And that he, w- he would bring blessings upon them just as he had promised uh, to their forefathers. And it's not because God owed them anything, but because he was gracious and kind And that uh, as Eric was preaching recently, uh, it's God who even grants repentance uh, to his people. But he also calls them to repent and uh, to turn uh, from their ways. And so then... It tells us about the judges throughout uh, the book of Judges, throughout the time period of the judges. The, uh, verse 16. Then Yahweh raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they hoard after other gods and bowed down to them. You see that pattern? Uh, so the, the Israelites, at first you have a generation that follows the Lord... And then they or their sons turn and walk away from the Lord. He brings judgments and discipline upon them. They cry out to the Lord, and he raises up a judge to save them out of the hands of their enemies. But then be, before long, again, they're turning away from the Lord. And so that's that cycle uh, of, of sin, of judgment, repentance, and salvation, uh, which God administers uh, through the judges he raises up. And then, let's keep reading verse 18. Uh, Whenever Yahweh raised up judges for them, uh, Yahweh was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For Yahweh was moved to pity by their groaning, Uh, because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. Uh, They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways, so the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Israel. And he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant, that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, uh, whether they will take care to walk in the way of Yahweh as their fathers did. Uh, So Yahweh left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand uh, of Joshua. Uh, And then, so that really... Uh, exhibits and demonstrates the, the cycle, it encapsulates what you see again and again through the book of Judges. Uh, it's giving you the general teaching that this is what Yahweh, w- what the people would do, this is what Yahweh would do, they would sin, he would judge them, they would repent, and on and on it goes through the book of Judges. Then go to Judges chapter 17. In verse 6, actually maybe we'll start right before that, because here as you you progress into the end of the book of Judges, things just become more and more wicked and evil all the way to the end end of the book. Uh, And there are some really horrifying things that you read uh, in this book uh, as the people sin. Uh, progresses, and God gives them over to the nations. So at the beginning of the chapter, uh, we're going to see this theme that repeats about there not being a king uh, in Israel. Uh, There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah, and he said to his mother, uh, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me, I took it. And his mother said, blessed be my son by Yahweh. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate this silver to Yahweh from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith, who made it into a carved image and a metal image, and it was in the house of Micah. And the man, Micah, had a shrine, and he made an ephod, and household gods, and ordained one of his sons who became his priest." In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Micah decides of Ephraim, of the tribe of Joseph, uh, with his mother, I'm going to make a carved image, and I'm going to make metal images, and I'm going to make idols, and an ephod, like, like the priest, like the high priest. And Uh, I'm going to establish a, a shrine and appoint a priest. I'm going to establish my own priesthood and my own worship and idolatry. And the author of Judges says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And who ultimately was the king of Israel? God, Yahweh. And the king that he later appoints serves like a son to him on on his behalf, but anticipating, I think, even as you read to the end of Deuteronomy, you see the failure of humanity and the failure of his people again and again, that by the end of Deuteronomy, you see that God is king over Israel. God alone is king. One day he's going to... T- send uh, his son, God in the flesh uh, to be king over his people.
1: Can I ask a question? Yeah. In Deuteronomy 17, that's an interesting, um, it seems difficult to understand on the surface because there's no king to do whatever's right in their own eyes. But in Deuteronomy 17, they want a king. And that's the problem, too. So the resolution is God determines if they have a king and when they do, who it yes. is. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, exactly, Okay, exactly. I think that's also part of how they got Saul. Now, that was all governed by God's providence to teach his people a lesson. And so God ultimately is the one who raised up Saul. But God also works through the events of history uh, and uh, the actions of people. Uh, And his people requested a king, thereby rejecting him as king over them. Uh, He told Samuel uh, not to lament that they hadn't rejected you, uh, but they had rejected me. Uh, They had rejected Yahweh as king over them uh, in the book of Samuel. And so they asked for a king, so God gave them one, Saul. And so in Judges, part of the problem, God has purposed, and God did ordain that one day Israel would have a king in his timing, just as Bob said, according to his purposes. And so part of the problem in the book of Judges is, that, is this refrain that in those days, in the time of the judges, which will be relevant for the book of Ruth, uh, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. If everyone's doing what's right in his own eyes, like back in the garden, clearly God isn't king over them because it's God who gave the people his word and who teaches them. Uh, it's God uh, to whom uh, they answer and under whom they live uh, in in His sight, trusting in Him. Uh, and so, if everyone's doing what's right in His own eyes, it's not merely that they don't have a human king ruling over them, uh, but they don't have God as their king. And so, part of the resolution of this will be raising up David, uh, raising up a king, a dynasty uh, that one day. Uh, God will establish his eternal, everlasting king uh, and kingship uh, over his people and over all the earth. Now, look at this in verse 7. So we'll see that uh, Elimelech, we haven't learned his name yet. Or, uh, oh, he's in English. I uh, read in Hebrew too much. Uh, Elimelech. Elimelech. Uh, that he, he's from Bethlehem, uh, Naomi, their sons. Uh, they're from Bethlehem of, of Judah. And you have uh, some of these horrible, the most horrible events uh, recounted uh, in the book of Judges uh, deals with a fellow Bethlehemite during the time of Judges. Now, there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite. Chapter 17, yep, verse 7. So there is a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who is a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah uh, to sojourn where he could find a place. And it's interesting, uh, Dan- Daniel Block points out that the language of him going and sojourning is the exact same language that's used for Elimelech, where he he decides to go sojourn in Moab and to leave, depart from Israel. And his sons end up marrying uh, Moabite women, foreign women. Uh, And part of that just might be that it's idiomatic, going and sojourning, but also this departing you see, has consequences, and he ends up leaving to idolatry uh, and walking, walking away. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah uh, to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah and I am going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, "'Stay with me, and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living.' And the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man became to him like one of his own sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young young man became his priest.' and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know Yahweh will prosper me because I have a Levite as priest. Uh And then you go on to see, I think it's probably the same Levite because he's from Bethlehem, but you have this account of him having a concubine, which Levites weren't supposed to have concubines, and... Uh, just a horrible account where basically within Israel uh, the tribe of Benjamin and the events are reduced to those of Sodom and Gomorrah and so you, you have all of this evil and we're reminded chapter 18 verse 1 in those days there was no king in Israel and then go to chapter 19
2: yeah just a little humor actually Uh, in that verse 13 Micah said now I know that the Lord will prosper me that's the shades of Joel Osteen you know people haven't changed all that much I guess (laughs) exactly yes
0: yeah absolutely there's a form of prosperity theology huh? (laughs) but also in the context of idolatry Which it is, I mean, it's all idolatry. And so then uh, it speaks about Micah, Micah's carved image. Uh, And then in verse 19, yet again, we hear this refrain. You know, it's like a drumbeat. It just keeps reminding you as you come to these last chapters. I believe chapter 17, that's the very first uh, occurrence of this phrase. But the themes and ideas permeate uh, the book of Judges. It's just we're coming to the culmination. Chapter 19. In those days, when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. Okay, so we, we have a sojourning Levite. But there, what we are looking at, Again, this connects uh, to the the first verse uh, in in Ruth. So the time period of the judges, there was no king in Israel. But as we get to this new scene, we have this context in time established for the events that follow. In those days, uh, when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of and so it's in this context that these wicked, evil events happen, where he takes a concubine and ends up throwing her, her out uh, to the, the wolves of Benjamin, we could say, uh, to, to the men who want to, to abuse and mistreat them, uh, the, the people of the town, uh, and even ends up carving her up. You don't know if quite if it's ambiguous if she's alive or dead, if she's in shock or if she's dead, and sending her to the tribes of Israel saying this wicked thing has happened. Uh, So Israel has to rise up against the tribe of Benjamin. It's just evil after evil after evil, and the tribe of Benjamin's almost completely wiped out. But as we begin to read these things in verse 19, uh, the context is in those days when there was no king in Israel. That's the relevant time period uh, that these events take place. When God wasn't king over them or they had rejected God uh, and there was no Davidic king, uh, certainly uh, within uh, the land and over all the tribes of Israel. And so you see all this evil, everyone doing what's right in their own eyes, uh, not what's right in the eyes of Yahweh their king. And a righteous human king, and particularly the, the God-man, who would uh, reign perfectly and whose will would be in perfect concert with, uh, with Yahweh, with the Father. Now go to the very end of the book of Judges, chapter 21, uh, the last verse. So you have have these bookends where the people keep turning away from, uh, from the Lord, from Yahweh. You see at the very beginning of Judges, and that continues through the entire book. And here's the conclusion, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That sums up the book and time period of the Judges. And that's the context in which the book of Ruth takes place. And so it's not just sort of careless or just secondary uh, words or an utterance at the beginning of the book of Ruth, but we need to understand the book of Ruth within uh, this context of the book of Judges. Uh, Because within the book of Ruth, we will see sin, uh, we will see. I mean, clearly, uh, with Naomi's sons uh, taking uh, Moabite uh, women, they they were forbidden from taking foreign women, uh, which we'll look at in more detail, uh, because it could lead the people to idolatry. They worshipped other gods. Uh, they served other gods. Uh, there is more to it than just romance and marriage. Uh, but that marriage would be yoked uh, between Yahweh and foreign, foreign gods, idolatry. Uh, And so we see uh, their sin. Uh, Next, we're going to see a famine uh, that has echoes of the curses in the covenant when God brings judgment on his people and disciplines his people. But we will also see God's redemption and salvation uh, through the book of Ruth uh, even using uh, uh to bring about uh, the Davidic line to raise up his king uh, within Israel and to fulfill his purposes. There was no king in the time of the judges, but you see the line preserved throughout the book of Ruth. Uh, despite human sin and frailty and weakness, uh, God is still accomplishing and bringing about uh, his purposes. And that leads right into uh, the book of Ruth. And so now, moving from the, the time period of the judges, and actually I included just a couple maps. Uh, it doesn't, it's not put primarily in like geographical terms. Uh, it's put as a time period uh, in the days uh, when the judges ruled over Israel, or judged, when the judges judged. But uh, it'd be taken for granted as we are reading in the beginning of the book of the Judges that they did not finish uh, the the conquest. It didn't extend uh, to the sea. It wasn't the full extent of the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, he was testing uh, the peoples, uh, and so this map uh, within the orangish, uh, reddish outline, uh, you see roughly the territory. Uh, that the Israelites in the tribes held uh, during the time period of the the judges. Uh, Any land outside of that was uh, contested uh, by the the peoples around them. Uh, And here's another map that just shows a little more, a little more precisely with a little more detail. That pink area is generally the area that uh, the Israelites permanently held uh, during the time period of the the judges, uh, but you see additions to the land as Samuel's raised up as judge, uh, and then Saul is king and David is king. Uh, but this was the time period uh, of the judges. And so now uh, we've established the the setting now. A problem immediately arises within the Book of Ruth. Uh, in Ruth, uh, the narrative, the story does not take long uh, to begin. Context: problem arises. Uh, there was a famine uh, in the land, uh, and we're going to see—we uh, haven't learned yet—but he's from Bethlehem, house of bread. So there's there's a famine in the house of bread in Judah, in Israel. Uh, but where they lived, uh, the the house of bread. And so God's uh, provision, uh, their lacking and wanting of sustenance uh, of bread, which was a staple for uh, the the Israelites. Uh, And that theme will also continue through the book of Ruth, uh, both lacking but also God's provision uh, for Ruth and for Naomi, uh, who later is a widow, Uh, In the book. But this echoes immediately of God's uh, covenantal blessings and curses. So go to Leviticus chapter 26. These aren't things that we read all the time, so I just want to take a a little look over them. We we won't read every verse, uh, but I want to uh, read through portions uh, of the blessings and the curses. And so chapter 26, it begins with the blessings uh, of the covenant. You shall not make idols uh, for yourselves or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land uh, to bow down to it, for I am Yahweh your God. Uh, You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am Yahweh. Now verse 3. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season. And the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last uh, to the time for sowing. And now the grape harvest in Judah, uh, in Judah in the hill country and in Bethlehem, they had a very short time period where they had rain. Uh, most of the rain came all at once uh, within a month or two, uh, and then it would gradually uh, dissipate. And so uh, they'd have, have rain for a few months, most of it very concentrated in their rainy season. You can think around like December, January would be like the, the heart of it in our calendar. Then uh, they would have the uh, the barley and wheat harvest, but the grapes would continue to grow and they would use the dew, uh, the morning dew uh, to drip on the grape plants uh, and they would continue uh, to grow uh, throughout uh, much of the year. And so he's basically talking about the surplus of bounty that he's going to continuously uh, provide from them that one harvest uh, will end in another will will begin. Uh, the growing and the sowing uh, that God will endlessly provide uh, for his people. Quite the opposite of famine. And so then uh, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land uh, securely. And he talks about the peace he will give them uh, from the wild beasts. Uh, and from the, the nations uh, all around. Uh, and even gives the promise in verse 12. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. Like in the garden as he walked in the midst of the garden. Uh, where the man and the woman dwelled in his presence. But then you have uh, punishments uh, for disobedience. The curses. Verse uh, Verse 14. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if, in spite of this, you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. You hear the implicit call to repentance for his people to return from their evil ways. But if they will not, and they obstinately persist... And uh, verse 19, and I will break uh, the pride of your power and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze and your strength shall be spent in vain for your land shall not yield its increase and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. And when it says that the heavens, he'll make the heavens like iron and the earth like bronze. In another passage, he uses this uh, same metaphor, he says uh, that the whole land will be dust. Uh, and it's picturing uh, a drought, not, not a fertile, fruitful land, uh, but the hot sun beating down on a hard, uh, scorched earth land. And your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit.
1: Adam? Adam? Adam, can yes. I ask you a quick question? Um, in chapter 26 or wherever, when it says you shall not make uh, idols for yourselves, and then later, well, wherever they have the word you, is that a collective you or a singular you? I mean, is it a, all the tribe of Israel, or is it just one person?
0: Well, let's see. A lot of times it's actually interchangeable. Uh, so in Hebrew and the Bible, uh, they will often use a singular you, But it's a collective idea referring to you, Israel. The reason why I bring that out... Because you have a corporate idea, but you also, you have many places where uh, at the, let's see, at the beginning, where you also have plurals. Okay, the reason why I
1: bring that out is because uh, Jeremiah often talks about a remnant. I mean... we think of Israel as a monolithic thing where, in fact, there is a remnant inside
0: Israel. Absolutely. And so that's why I just wanted to bring that out. Yeah, and sometimes it's just a matter of allowing Moses and the biblical authors to say one thing at a time. I remember a scholar saying that as well. Uh, just let them say one thing at a time. Allow them to make the point that they're making because they do make distinctions, as you say, about the remnant. Right now, it's dealing with the curses. Uh, And uh, there are times where all of God's people suffered uh, due to the sin, but God did preserve a remnant uh, within uh, Israel, and he sustained them through hardship and trials. Uh, And sometimes also uniquely provided for them. You see that like with Elijah and Elisha in the wilderness and yeah. events like that as
2: well. Yeah, to that, to that question, what I would do, I, I notice uh, verse 12, that's clearly you is plural. I will also walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. That would be plural. And so if we continue the, 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 same, the same context, the same thought I would be inclined to say in verse 14, but if you do not obey me and not carry out, I think he's talking about the people as a whole. If they're characterized by disobedience, you know, God will judge the nations, the nation, Israel, the covenant nation. So I think it's plural. Absolutely. Although in Hebrew, you can't necessarily
0: judge until you look first, just because it can use a singular you just to refer corporately to you, Israel, which implies also the the people that make up Israel. And so then with uh, the curses, uh, you you have, uh, there are many passages that speak about the famine and the pestilence. Uh, Verse 26, uh, when I break your supply of bread, Some of it's in the context of siege, but you also see more generally with famine. Uh, When I break your supply of bread, uh, uh, lechem, uh, like Bethlehem, uh, ten women shall bake your bread in a single oven and dole out your bread again by weight, and you shall eat it uh, and not be satisfied. And then as we come to the end of the the curses. Let's look at verse 40. You also see uh, promises of, of salvation. Uh, God had provision uh, for atonement, for the forgiveness of sins, uh, even under the Old Covenant. Now, that day of atonement was a repeated sacrifice. It wasn't a once-for-all perfecting sacrifice, but he did say uh, that the priests shall make atonement and I shall forgive them, uh, the, particularly those who believed. Ultimately, looking forward to the day when he would make a once-for-all, not a repetitious sacrifice, as the author of Hebrews says, but a once-for-all perfecting for all time, but those Israelites under the old covenant could believe the Lord when he said the priest shall offer atonement and I shall forgive their sins. They could believe Yahweh that he will uh, forgive their sins. Uh, Was there a question? Oh, uh, in chapter uh, 26, Leviticus.
1: Can I ask a question here? Yes. Uh, I have the Holman Christian Standard Bible, but it says their unfaithfulness that they practiced against me, how they acted with hostility toward me. Now, I assume that's probably hatred. Mm -hmm. And isn't it true that um, if the relationship is such, Yahweh, the covenant, his provision, hostility may not be, oh, I hate God, but... Failure to be faithful to covenant is considered hostility. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. Uh, and so, anything that would be morally culpable, and so uh, to sinfully neglect God's word, uh, if someone's in a position, and whether they know God or not, I mean, the default is that uh, we're, we're sinners, and so we we sin, but there can be the the sinful uh, neglect of God's word and we can say we can sin against God and okay maybe it's a little more absurd example but oh I murdered someone oh I didn't know God's word said you can't murder. Now there's something about creation that that violates just the shedding of innocent blood everyone's culpable to that but you can't claim ignorance when you're in a position to know the word of the Lord and you should have known it and we we sin for lack of knowledge but then uh, there's also knowing God's word and, and just sinning sinning anyway uh, which would be hostility toward God it's not just like a feeling or an emotion uh, but just outright rejecting his word would show that we're hostile we're aligned against the king of the universe
2: And it got so bad if you read on through the next few verses that cannibalism entered in. They're eating their own children and if they just would have turned to the Lord he would provide for them uh, as God says he will for us today. Yeah, amen. And
0: you see so many times that God does grant repentance. Uh, You don't have the new covenant which has better promises uh, and there again you don't have the repetitious sacrifice, but a once for all. Uh, and I will forgive their iniquity. Uh, it's, it's once uh, for all. And remember their sins no more. Uh, in that it's for all God's people, all who belong to the new covenant. Uh, I shall remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Uh, and so everyone who truly belongs uh, to the new covenant through uh, repentance and faith uh, in uh, the Son, uh, has the forgiveness of sins, has been born from above. Whereas in the old covenant, uh, it was it was a remnant. It, w- it wasn't promised to to every last individual. People belonged to the old covenant who didn't actually know the Lord, who were not regenerate, who didn't have circumcised hearts. Uh, but there always was a remnant.
2: I also find it interesting that that's not the kind of sacrifice Yahweh was looking for, but ironically, the gods that they were turning to, that's exactly the kind of sacrifice they wanted was child sacrifice. Yeah, amen. And so verse 40
0: Leviticus 26, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me, and also when they're that idea of corporate solidarity, we, we don't have time to delve into all of that, but you see that the sons often walk in the ways of their fathers. Uh, and if you walk in the ways of your forebears in their sin uh, in particular, then you're in solidarity with them. You share in their sin. You share in the same sorts of sins. You share in the guilt. You share in the judgment. And so if they uh, turn, uh, if they confess their iniquity, uh, verse 41, uh, so that I walk contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land, but the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbaths. Uh, it goes on to talk about the, uh, the Sabbaths, the rest that the land uh, for the shedding of innocent blood and the sin and the neglecting of his Sabbaths, that the land enjoys uh, its rest. But then uh, in verse 45 or 44, yet for all that, uh, when they are in the land of their enemies. I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them, so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them. For I am Yahweh their God, but I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am Yahweh. And so God's purposes, God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, will be accomplished despite his sinful uh, people. Uh, these are the statutes and the rules and the laws that Yahweh made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. And so through here, we belabor the point a little bit, but we see this context of curses and famine that comes up again and again. In the book of Judges, these cycles of sin and rebellion, it's no surprise to see famine, uh, what's characteristic of God's curses uh, during the opening of the book of Ruth. Uh, And we will see how that plays out and how God brings about redemption uh, in uh, the the rest of the book uh, that follows. And then maybe I'll just leave you just as a a taste of things to come. Oh, I didn't include, here we go, I have it right here. Oh, there it is. So now as you're reading, uh, maybe you can even notice uh, this pattern of the man, Elimelech, going uh, his action uh, to sojourn in Moab. This will be paralleled later with the action of his sons who took Moabite wives after his death. Uh, After his action, you see their names are presented, uh, the names of Elimelech, Naomi, and their sons. Following that, they uh, remain uh, in the land. They they sojourn there. And then Elimelech dies. And just look at the last uh, number five on each of them. And she was left with her two sons. And then she doesn't even have those. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Uh, They died uh, in the land of Moab. Moab. So uh, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for, for the book of Ruth and just thank you for your promises and covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, and to, to David and uh, your, your new covenant blessings uh, in your son. I'm grateful that we can find a redemption in him, uh, that we know that we have eternal life. Uh, through repentance and faith uh, in his once for all finished sacrifice. And uh, we're just grateful that uh, throughout the, uh, the, the foibles and weakness of your peoples that uh, you brought about uh, your king uh, even through a Moabitess. And just pray that you'd bless Bob as he preaches and uh, bless us all and uh, help us all to have ears to hear. We pray in your son's name. Amen.